People are coming to Christ. They're excited about the Word of God. I'm glad you guys are here. So we do have a Bible study. So let's open up our Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. It's a good time to remember to turn our ringers off our phones. We get bombarded with the noise of the world and the news and everything else. So we want, we want to hear from the Lord. We want to be focused. We want to be settled in our seats and in our hearts. Daniel chapter 1, right after Ezekiel. We looked at and studied the first four verses last week. But Daniel is, we were introduced to this book named after Daniel, who was one of the prophets of the Old Testament. And we took some time to set the stage for what is before us as we travel through this very powerful, very practical prophetic book. As Father, we come this morning once again as we open up the pages of your word that this is for us, Lord. And it may be a portion of scripture that that we're familiar with, but I, I do pray that it touches our heart to a deeper degree. And Lord, that we would be ones that our ears are open to you, our hearts soft before you. And Lord, as we read this, that you would teach us. I pray that we would be ones that we come into this place desiring to hear from you and to receive from you. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we're here. And we just commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So most Christians, they have read maybe parts of the book of Daniel, maybe even as you grew up in the church going to Sunday school, that you remember the story of, of the three thrown in the burning fiery furnace. Or perhaps all of us, I think, are familiar with Daniel being thrown in the lion's den. Even non-Christians are familiar with that story. But what we're going to do is something that a lot of Christians have never done, and that is really study this book in its entirety. And we're going to do that over the next several weeks. Now, the outline that I gave to you is very simple. The book of Daniel, chapters 1 through 6, is dealing with the person of Daniel. And we will see next week, though, that as Daniel's going to interpret a dream, actually tell Nebuchadnezzar the dream that he had and the interpretation of the dream, we're going to see that that is the very foundation of the Bible prophecy. So chapters 1 through 6 focuses on a person of Daniel. Chapters 7 through 12 is going to be the prophecies of Daniel. And we're going to see some of the most interesting, some of the most incredible detailed prophetic visions that we have in the entire Bible. People today are wondering, where is this world headed to? I've had more questions lately about what's going to happen to our nation. Is this Bible speak of it? I've had more people that are beginning to ask, this imminent invasion of Russia into Ukraine, does that have biblical prophetic significance? You better believe it does. As you read Ezekiel, who Ezekiel, remember that he's off in the captivity as well. Daniel's taken in 605 B.C., it's the first of the, the deportations of the Jews of the house of Judah, beginning in 605 B.C. The 70 years of captivity begins. So here is Nebuchadnezzar. He's down in the Sinai. He's fighting this famous battle, the battle of Shar Shemesh against the Egyptians. He is defeating them. And all of a sudden he gets word that his father, the king of Babylon, is, has passed away. So Nebuchadnezzar has to secure the throne 
And quickly, he passes through Jerusalem. That's the first siege on Jerusalem, 605 B.C. Seventy years' captivity would continue to 536 B.C. until Cyrus comes and he conquers Babylon. We'll talk more about that as we travel through this book. But Daniel and his friends, the young men, as we read uh, here as uh, verse 3, the king instructed Aspenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants, some of the nobles and young men, that they would be taken to Babylon. They're going to be trained in the affairs of the Babylonian government. We know that some of the gold and silver of the house of the Lord, that is Solomon's temple, some of the treasures there and the articles are taken to Sinar, that is put into the temple of Nebuchadnezzar's pagan god there in Babylon. So that's what takes place in this first deportation. The second one would happen, the second assault on Jerusalem, as Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he takes Jehoiakim and he's going to bound him up and take him off. But we also know that he would take a large portion of the population off at that time. One of those taken off is Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, he is in Babylon and he's prophesying. So there is Daniel, he's in the palace of Babylon. There's Ezekiel that has his vision in Babylon. I believe the visions and the prophecies that Ezekiel speak of, that we are living in the days of Ezekiel. There is no doubt about it. And what we are seeing as Russia is getting ready to, what they're saying is the imminent invasion of Ukraine. Matter of fact, we have people that are listening to us from Ukraine. And as we are to pray for them, pray for the Christians, it's amazing how persecution is increasing against the Christians in the world today, in Afghanistan, in the Middle East, and in Africa, now in Eastern Europe, as they come in, does it speak of, of what the Bible speaks about in prophecy? Well, there's some implications there, as we're going to see that Daniel's going to speak about Europe, what's going to happen in the future in Europe, and they are wanting to change Europe, and also what's going to happen in the Middle East. So you better believe that it has significance. And I pray and hope that we are ones, that we don't buy into where some pastors are saying, well, it's not important to know those things. It is important to know these things. We're in incredible days today. And we are living in a generation that for the first time in 2,000 years, you have the church in Israel on the scene. So we're going to be looking at these things, the, the prophetic scenario that is before us. And the outline that Daniel gives to us is very important for us to understand. So here, as we go through this chapter, we see that Daniel is taken off. Well, uh, we know that Daniel, is he's taken away, he's a young man. And as uh, the young man in verse 4, let's read it again. They had no blemish, good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And we know that, uh, as we discuss. That as they're taken off by Nebuchadnezzar, they're going to be trained in the affairs of the Babylonian government. Here, they're not just going to Babylon educate them concerning Babylon, but indoctrinate them. The real treasure wasn't the gold and silver that was brought from Jerusalem. The real treasure was the youth. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king, he knows that. And we're going to take the brightest and the most gifted of the young men of Judah, and we will teach them about Babylon. 
We even are going to give them new Babylonian names as we continue to read in verse 5. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank. And three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. In verse 7, to them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, the Hananiah, Shadrach, the Mishael, Meshach, and the Azariah, Abednego. So Daniel and his friends come on the scene. They're now in Babylon, taken away. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now Daniel, his name means God is judge. For you who like to jot down things, you might jot it down that Daniel, God is judge. Hananiah, his name means God is gracious. Mishael, who is like God. And Azariah, God is our help. And I'm giving you that not just for you know, academic reasons, but I'm giving you this because there's something very important for us to consider. As I mentioned to you last week, these guys are anywhere from 14 to 17 years of age is what scholars believe. When they are taken away from their families, they're taken away from their homes, they're taken away from Jerusalem, and they are taken here to be in captivity. And before the captivity, every day they would hear their names called by their parents, by their families, if they had grandparents, by their siblings, by their friends. Hey, Daniel. Daniel, get in here. God is judge. Hananiah, God is gracious. Mishael, who is like God? Every day, Azariah, God is our help. So parents and grandparents, I want to ask you this. What are we speaking to our children's lives, our grandchildren? Do we tell our children that God is judge? It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. Don't be afraid when people, your friends, judge you because you are a Christian. But you make a stand for the Lord. God is the judge. And we will stand one day, we as believers, at the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Romans chapter 14, and as many of you know, we're not going to be judged for our sins, but it's the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ, and we're going to be rewarded for what we have done for Him in this life. And what we do for Christ in this life, that's what's going to last. Now, I was thinking about this coming in this morning, thinking about the study that last week, many of you watched the Super Bowl. It's one of the most watched events in, during the whole year. Millions upon millions, hundreds of millions of people watched the Super Bowl. And that's the coveted prize for every football player is to win the Super Bowl Lombardi trophy to have a ring, to be a world champion. And you think about what went on, all the celebrities, all the entertainers, all the, the money that's poured into it. And then the winner gets a parade through the city and tens of thousands of people come out to see the parade. That's the way our world is. The last couple of weeks, we've watched the Olympics, some of you. And, and last summer was the Olympics. And to watch the events and, and those who, perhaps from our country, as they're there, standing on a podium as they get the gold, maybe the silver, the bronze, we like to watch that. And they dedicate their life to training, to winning that event, to be the world's best. 
And that's what the world emphasizes. We understand that. But I want us to understand as Christians that we are going to receive rewards, crowns for what we have done for Christ when we stand at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ and what we have done for him in this life, whether good or bad, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, will be rewarded accordingly. And you may be thinking, well, I'm not a world champion at anything. Well, neither am I. But can you give a cup of water to a child in Christ's name? Can you minister to somebody making a meal for them? Can you take the time to pray for somebody? Can you help out in practical ways? Maybe disciple somebody that really needs somebody that, that they're, they're there and they just need words of encouragement. They need somebody to come alongside and to bless them and help them. Can you do those things? And as you do, the Lord sees it, and he's going to reward you. God is judge. And we're going to stand at the payment reward seat of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, listen, took the judgment for you and for me when it comes to our sins. As he cried out from that cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, as the wrath of the Father was placed upon him on that cross, as he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that time, he took the judgment for you. He bore your sins. He experienced the wrath that you and I deserve. And then he would cry out, it is finished. He did the work. He paid the price, making atonement for our sins. And he was put into a grave and he rose again. Do we tell our kids that God is gracious? He loves you. He died for you. He wants you to have a blessed life. He has a plan for you. Do we tell our kids, hey, who is like our God? I'm sure that Michiel had parents. They were familiar with Psalm 113. Psalm 113 that speaks of the majesty of our Lord. The psalmist writes, the Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high? I'm sure that, that it was the parents that said, God is our help. Like in Psalm 46, in Psalm 46, it's the sons of Korah, as they would write that familiar psalm to many of us, that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. <clears throat> Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. He is our help, a very present help in trouble. That means today, right now. God is your help. And maybe some of you come into this place and you're troubled. You're troubled because of circumstances. You're troubled because of challenges that you face. Maybe you're troubled because of loss that you've experienced. You might be troubled as you see the things going on around the world and you feel like, man, there's so much upheaval and things are happening. It's true what Jesus said, that the signs of the end, that there'll be distress of nations with perplexity. All these things that are taking place. But know this, that God is our help. Every day they heard their names called and they were established in truth. And now... They're taken off in captivity. Their world is rocked. 
And they're going to stand courageously against the threats and the challenge of Babylon. We're going to see that they're going to be interviewed by Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man on the face of the earth. What are we teaching our kids to prepare them for Babylon? What are we speaking into the lives of those who are linked to us? Whatever state that you're in, all of us, we have people that are around us that they need to hear God's truth. They need to hear that the Lord loves you, that the Lord is gracious, that he is the judge, that he's your protector. There is none like our Lord. And these teenagers, as I said, are now taken away from their homes. They're taken away from their families. Never to see their parents again. Never to see their siblings again, if they had siblings. Never to see Jerusalem again. Never to marry, because they were Enoch's, you know, eunuchs, excuse me. No children, no inheritance. And, And inheritance was everything in ancient Israel. And now Babylon is not just going to educate them, but indoctrinate these young teenagers in the literature and language and culture and religion of the Chaldeans. And we're going to change their names. Daniel, you're now going to be Belteshazzar, which means Bel will be your protector. You don't need Jehovah God. Bel was a Babylonian pagan god. He now is going to be your protector, Daniel. And Hananiah, you're going to be Shadrach. It's not God is gracious. But you'll be under the command of Aku because that's what your new name is. Aku was another pagan god that they would worship, the moon god. And Mishael, who's like your god, your god is nothing, Mishael. Because we conquered your god's temple. Our god whipped your god is what their thinking would be. They didn't understand that God had allowed the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, to come in and take the house of Judah away captive, just as the prophets had spoken about. And it was about five years before this time that Habakkuk, the Old Testament prophet, that he's in his place of of just watching, and he's wondering, and he's wrestling, and he cries out, violence is happening, there's trouble, there's lawlessness, there's injustice, there's sin, and wicked surround the righteous. It was really bad at that time. Look what's happening to our nation. As we know, the condition of Judah was not good. They had forsaken the Lord. And the Lord had made that covenant with them at Mount Sinai that if you follow after me, I'll bless you. But if you forsake me, then you are going to experience the curses and the consequences and you're going to go off into captivity. And for all those years, Isaiah coming on the scene, the prophets, there's Jeremiah, they're warning the people, turn back to the Lord or you're going to go off into captivity. Here's Habakkuk. He's looking around. He sees all this. Lord, don't you see what's going on? And we can ask the same thing. Lord, what's going on in the world? What's happening to our nation? The lawlessness. We see the injustice. We see the sin. We see that we're calling good evil and evil good. It seems like the wicked surround the righteous. It's really bad. And God would respond to Habakkuk and said that I will work a work in your day. He's working a work in our day as well. And he's in control and he has a plan. And it's going to culminate to where it's a glorious future for you and for me. To Habakkuk, he would say, I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans. I know they're bitter and they're a nasty nation. They're terrible and dreadful. But my people need to go off into captivity. I'll deal with the Babylonians. 
You don't need to believe that there is none like our God, is what the Babylonians were telling those young people who declare in Isaiah chapter 46, Isaiah said concerning God, for I am God, thus says the Lord. There is none other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. Isn't that interesting? The end from the beginning. From ancient times, things that have not yet been done, saying my counsel will stand. But now, Mishael, your name means who is like Eku. And you, Azariah, God of Israel, is not your help. You're no longer a servant of God, but a servant of Nebo, who was the pagan god of wisdom in Babylon. They were going to change their names to reflect what they were going to teach them in their lives now. And listen, folks, parents, grandparents, whoever you are, I don't need to tell you because you know this to be true. That's what's happening today. One of the things about longevity of ministry is I've watched our kids grow up in godly homes. Parents and grandparents teaching them the ways of the Lord, raising them in the admonition of the Lord the best they knew how. Teaching them the truth of God's word. We've come alongside and given truth to them. Declaring to them that God is judge and he is gracious and there's none like him. He is true. He's our protector. And then just about the age that these guys are before us this morning. Here comes Babylon. Here comes Babylon and the world to take them away from their faith. Here comes the world and Babylon that says to them, you don't need to believe in God. The Bible isn't true. God didn't create the world. He didn't create you. You know, it's a mistake that, that you were born this way. That's your parents' religion, the Bible. While in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do. And Satan is working overtime on our young people, and more young people are leaving the church than ever before. And we grieve. And it breaks our heart, doesn't it? But I want to remind you that God still loves them. And you keep praying. You keep praying that the Lord will show them that Babylon is false. That Babylon, that that isn't where their satisfaction and fulfillment and real purpose is. That they will understand that Babylon will just hold them in captivity. That they would understand this, that Babylon is a ripoff. And the message from God to them is this, come home that they can come home where the Lord will receive them like the prodigal. How do any of us, how do our children and those that we love stand against the onslaught of Babylon in our lives and their lives? For those that we love, well, verse 8 and verse 9, I think, is really the heart of the chapter as we read. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Daniel, but Daniel, purposed in his heart. And as we read this book of Daniel, we are going to see that that is what is going to set him apart. They want to pamper him with the king's meat. We're not just talking about meat that wasn't kosher, like pork roast. This is meat that is offered to idols. 
with wine. Can you imagine being a teenager? Here's all the meat you want. Here's all the wine that you want. And we're going to teach you the doctrine, literature, religion of the Chaldeans. And we're going to change your name. And the Babylonians changed their names. But listen, the lesson that we see here, which is so critical for us to understand, is they could not change their hearts. They changed their names but could not change their hearts. And one thing to know is victory in our Christian lives, in our Christian walk, begins when we say, I'm going to purpose in my heart. You make that decision. I'm not going to defile myself. And then, Lord, I need your help. I'm going to get rid of that thing. I'm not going to be a part of that activity. I'm not going to watch this. I'm not going to be hanging out at. I'm not going to be in bondage to. I'm not going to be influenced by that which will cause me to be defiled in my heart, to move out in sin and carnality. Victory begins when we say, that is it. I'm going to purpose in my heart to honor God, to walk in obedience, to do what God wants me to do. That's what it means to live in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not spoken of much in the church today. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not an unhealthy fear of God. It is living in reverence to God that you are almighty God and you created me and you created me as I am your workmanship, poem in the Greek. I am your poem, a thing of creation, a thing of beauty. And I am your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works since before the world even began. He knew all about you, set his love on you, and wants to use you in the day in which you are living in. And living in the fear of the Lord is saying, I don't want to hurt you, Lord, because I reverence you. It's like Joseph, who lived in the fear of the Lord. I referenced him last week. He was taken off into Egypt in the book of Genesis. He's only about the same age as these guys. His brothers betray him, throw him in a pit. They're going to kill him. And they saw this caravan going by, going to Egypt. They said, well, let's make some money off of him. They sell him into slavery. He's in Potiphar's house, Potiphar, one of the captains of Pharaoh's. And he's there. He ends up having favor with God. He was the one that loved the Lord. And we know that Joseph, that as God's blessing him, he's the head steward of the whole house. Well, one day when everybody's gone, Potiphar's wife grabs him and says, lie with me. And Joseph said, no, how can I do this great wickedness before my God? I think about Shammah. I love to study David's mighty men. These guys were incredible. One of the three main mighty men of David, one was Shammah, <clears throat> 2 Samuel chapter 23. David tells him, you guard this field of lentils. And so that's what he does. He's positioned himself. He had purpose in his heart. He's going to be there. He's going to do what the king told him to do. The cry goes out. The Philistines are coming. And he took them on single-handedly and defeated the Philistines. He had purpose in his heart. He was steadfast and had great victory. As Christians, we can be so full of excuses. Why we do the things that we do rather than saying, I purpose in my heart not to defile myself. The way to have victory over temptation in those times of temptation, in those moments where we can easily be given into sin, is to have a heart that is towards the Lord and you purpose in your heart. And these four individuals, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, will go through times 
and stand strong, committed to God because they had purpose in their heart. We're not going to eat your meat. We're not going to drink your wine. We are not going to bow down to your image. Go ahead and throw us in the burning, fiery furnace, and I'm going to pray to my God if it means I get thrown into the den of lions. So Daniel here, is he purpose in his heart not to defile himself? Let's read verse 9 again. God brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who has appointed your food and drink. Why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So he has a concern here, the chief of the eunuchs, because... I could get in trouble for helping you, Daniel, and, and he could. If Daniel, if they aren't looking good, if I'm not taking care of you, that's what the king thinks. And remember, the king is one that likes to chop people in, up into little bits and make their homes a dunghill and throw them into burning, fiery furnaces. Nebuchadnezzar has absolute rule. Whatever he speaks, as so soon as the words come out of his mouth, that's law. If he would get mad. He's a hothead. We're going to see all of this. He has reason to be concerned. But here Daniel, as he has favor with the chief of the eunuchs, he's trusting God to work in his life because he had purposed not to defile himself, and he believes that God will honor that. I don't think that we doubt that God can work in our difficult situations when we say, Lord, I want to honor you. Sometimes I think where we struggle is, are you willing to work? It's like the man in Matthew and Mark's gospel that came to Jesus full of leprosy. And he cries out, Lord, if you're willing. I think he believed that the Lord had the power to heal. But if you're willing, will you please cleanse me? And Jesus reached out with those hands of compassion and touched him. And immediately he was cleansed. Sometimes we think, Lord, are you willing? Are you willing to help me? Because I need to stand firm for you. And I don't want to defile myself, and I want to do what is right. And I think Daniel shows us that he is willing. But here is the, the chief here of the eunuchs says, if you guys don't look healthy, it could cost me my head. But we continue reading verse 11. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat and the portion of the king's delicacies and see as, do as you see fit. So deal with your servants. Verse 13 there as we read it. Daniel proposes that, hey, let's just eat some vegetable and drink water. So the issue isn't being a vegetarian, okay? I get stuff even today that, you know, the diet of Daniel chapter 1 and eat this and Daniel's, you know, pulp and vegetables and if you want to do that go ahead that's up to you but don't mess with my meat i i like my meat and (laughs) the whole issue here is they didn't want to defile themselves and daniel says listen understand your concern as he's talking to the chief of the eunuchs and if our appearance is sickly then after 10 days you examine us and if it seems that way then do what you seem fit and I believe that Daniel, he knew that God would honor his decision. He, he was a man of faith. In verse 14, so he consented with them in this matter and tested them 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter. That is, they were more healthy in flesh than all the young men who ate at the portion of the king's delicacies. 
And thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So after 10 days, they look more healthy than the other guys. And that's how God is honoring them. And they continued their diet. And then verse 17, as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days... When the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Now think about this. Put yourself in their sandals. Here you are, 14, 15 years old, and you have to stand before the most powerful man on the face of the earth. Talk about intimidation. Talk about heaviness. Nebuchadnezzar, who just simply speak, and he'll have your head off. He'll chop you into little pieces. Here they are standing before him. I think, how amazing. And then the king interviewed him, verse 19, among them all none was found, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Before they served, therefore they served before the king in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who are in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. couple things here as we close here this morning. Number one is God honored them and gave them wisdom and understanding. Daniel, he's going to have wisdom and understanding in dreams, which we're going to see next week. And Daniel is going to be put in an honored position because of that. Now, as you determine not to defy yourself and you stand for the Lord, you may not be put into an honored position. You may not be promoted. You might be demoted. That's the world in which we live in. You might be demoted. You might be fired. Who knows? Family come against you. Because Paul wrote that in the last days there will be perilous times, some of the last words of Paul. And know this, that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But I'll also know this, that God will honor you. God will honor you and he will work. And none of us, when we do stand at the beam of reward seat of Jesus Christ, none of us will stand there and say, God, you owe me. Because he's a debtor to no man. And we've experienced his grace to a great degree, the unmerited favor of God. And there's going to be a day, as Revelation chapter 19 tells us, that we will all say together, righteous and true are your judgments, Lord. Righteous and true are your decisions. And he sees you, and he's going to honor you in eternity's perspective and views that he does know what it is that you're going through. So as you're saying, you know, I'm wanting to stand for the Lord, but it seems like I'm not getting anywhere. Everybody else is getting away with things that are compromising or living after the world. Listen, they're not getting away with anything. Will you understand that? The Lord is the perfect judge. He is the one that will reward you accordingly. So know this. That he will bless you and he sees you. Second of all, here is Daniel. He's growing in the wisdom and understanding of the Lord. He's going to be able to interpret, give dreams that come from the Lord. You and I, that we are going to be used in the days in which we're living in as we grow in the wisdom and understanding of God's word. That's who God's going to use today. 
Because people are confused and they're looking all around. They're going, what is going on here? What's going to happen here? What's the future? And you are able to understand what God's plan is, the prophetic scenario that is before us, that the Lord is going to return. And we can understand the truths and the commandments and the precepts of God's truth. And we're able to give wisdom and understanding God's wisdom and God's understanding the people that are around us in our lives. And the way to do that is you keep coming and you keep growing in the Word of God. You keep growing in the Word of God. And we are so blessed to be able to do that. We don't have to give people the stupid wisdom of Babylon. And the world's getting more bizarre all the time. Some of the p- things that people embrace, is like, really? You really believe those things? People are looking for truth. Where are they going to find it? Are they going to find it with you? In the words that you speak. Keep growing in the wisdom and understanding of God's word. And God is going to use you in a powerful way in the days in which we are in. Finally, lastly, God was working in Daniel's life all through the 70 years of captivity. We end. Daniel continued through the first year of King Cyrus. He's the one that defeated Babylon. And Daniel would continue after that, as we will see in chapter 6. All through his life, he continued because it all goes back to verse 8. But Daniel, purpose in his heart. Verse 9, and God. But Daniel... But, Jeff, but put your name there. Put your name there. Purpose in your heart not to defile yourself, but to live for the Lord. Make him the priority of your life. To want to please the Lord. And what will happen is, but, as you make that choice, know this, verse 9, and God. And God will work in your life. And he'll do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can think and ask. He is going to work and he's going to use you. And he's going to strengthen you. He's going to bring you the comfort that you need. The wisdom that you need. Strength that you need. That continue through your life. As he's going to perfect that which concerns you. And being confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work will what? going to bring it to completion amen and it all starts with but i'm not going to defile myself i'm not going to give in to the world i'm not going to give it into babylon and as you do and god so father we thank you we thank you so much for these lessons that are before us and lord this portion of scripture that speaks to us And I do pray that as we are here, first of all, I want to pray for anyone who's here listening or later on the radio that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. That you've never made a commitment to him. He is the Savior of the world. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus went to a cross after he said that the next day. And he died for your sins and he rose again. He validated what he did on the cross, proving he's the son of God. And you see, you can try to be a good person, but you'll never be good enough. 
you may think, well, my parents are Christians. Um, that won't save you. A church won't save you. A pastor won't save you. It is coming to Christ. It is turning to him and confessing that you are a sinner in need to be forgiven and surrender your life to him. And the Bible says that if we believe in our heart the Lord Jesus and confess with our mouth that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And you can come to him right now. Today is the day of salvation. That you can pray, Jesus, I come and I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross for me and you rose again in your life. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. You're the Son of God. And I believe in you and what you did for me. And I thank you for this new beginning. I thank you for the work that you did on the cross and bringing me into the family of God. And I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. And listen, if you prayed that prayer, if you're here, we got a, a prayer team that's going to be here to pray with you. And come up and tell them the decision you made. If you're, you're listening online or on the radio, give us a call here at the church. We want to encourage you and bless you. But I also want to speak to all of us that are here that maybe, perhaps, as the Lord is speaking to your heart, that you've been distracted by the cares of life and the world and Babylon. Maybe you might be here, you're saying, I've been in captivity and in bondage to it. But this morning you can say, I don't want to defile myself anymore. We are in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And I pray that, Lord, that we would say, I want to walk with you, Lord, know you and love you. And as we do, we know that you are going to honor that. So if you're here, you can pray, Lord, I want a purpose in my heart not to defile myself, to pursue holiness keep your commandments, to walk in your ways because they are right and true, to grow in wisdom and understanding, and to be used of you, to bring light to others. As a parent, to speak truth into my kids' heart and my grandkids, speak truth into the people that are linked to me in my life. So give me wisdom, give me understanding. And Lord, to keep my eyes on you, Jesus' name. Father, I do want to pray for Ukraine and those in Ukraine as this imminent invasion. And what we're being told is it's just a matter of time. We pray for the Christians that are there, but we pray for the people of Ukraine. And Lord, we don't understand everything, but we do know that you spoke of these things. And I pray that your gospel, your word, would permeate Ukraine through the Christians. We pray for our brothers and sisters that are being persecuted throughout the Middle East and the Far East and Africa, even as we face it to a greater degree here. 
Lord, that we would keep our eyes on you because you're going to take your bride home. You're going to take your bride home. And your kingdom will last forever. I pray that you bless everyone here as we go our way. I pray for those who will be out in the cold this week working, our first responders, those that are working out in the fields, those who are having to travel. I pray for your hand of protection, strength, and blessing. Be with us this week. We look forward to meeting next week, Lord. Next week when we know that the world's going to be even different than it is today. But we commit all these things to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.